Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. On today's program, our subject will be the secret of eternal life as revealed by the Lord Jesus in a very familiar story, the Good Samaritan. Let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to begin down at verse 25. Here's what it says. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was going along the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wound, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Well, then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, this is one of the best known stories that has ever been written. You know, some of the literary critics have said that this is one of the greatest short stories ever put to paper. It has all of the ingredients of a great story. It begins with brutality. Then there is this element of indifference. And then there appears the emotion of compassion and the tenderness and mercy and love. It's, it is, in fact, a, a great story. Now, let's look at the situation in which all these events took place. A young lawyer comes to Jesus. He asks him a question. Everything we've read up till now is the response of Jesus. Jesus' own response to the question that the lawyer asked. Now, what did the young man do with the answer Jesus gave? Well, you'll notice he became defensive. Now, who is this young man that came to Jesus? Well, we know he's a lawyer. We don't know his name. But you can't separate a question from the man who asks it. When did he come to Jesus? Well, we know it must have been, because we're reading in Luke 10, it must have been somewhere down at least well into the introduction of our Lord's ministry. 
You see, the crowd is already following Jesus. Why was this particular man chosen to come and, and who chose him? Well, one of my favorite books, it's called The Desire of Ages. We are told that this young man was extremely clever with words. He was handpicked as their best man. He was sent to find Jesus and ask him embarrassing questions to discredit him in the eyes of his listeners and destroy his influence. They sent the very best man. However, in the book of Desire of Ages, you find the statement that says that he was not altogether insincere. The scripture says that he stood to his feet, which says that before he asked the question, he was sitting down, which that was the way, that was the method of teaching in that time. Jesus was probably standing and his audience was seated. Now, before any debater will argue with his opponent, he examines his opponent, sizes them up, as it were. Now, Jesus was always healing people. This young lawyer was deeply impressed by the healing miracles of our Lord. He saw how, how people would, were spiritually and physically healed and, and changed when they would come into the presence of Jesus. He saw on the face of Jesus a love, a caring love that he had never seen before. The heart of this young lawyer was mellowed and softened, but then he snapped to attention. Well, I came here to embarrass this man. I got to get back to the job for which they assigned me. Now, no debater debates without examining the audience. Who was there? Well, he looked over and here on the right side, there's a man. Over, he's got this loathsome disease. Everybody avoids him. And there on the other side, well, there's the town harlot. Everybody knows what she is. But there she sits perfectly comfortable in the presence of Jesus. The lawyer saw that everyone was comfortable. The outwanted, the outcasts, the, the outloved, the unloved of society, they were there. And Jesus was loving them all. And this young man's conscience got aroused a little further. And he thought, you know, if this man, Jesus, is right, then I'm going to have to be interested in all of these uninteresting people with their pains and their aches and their cares. I'm going to have to be concerned with these people that no one else cares about. All of the unwanted and, and the unloved came to Jesus. So now he stood to his feet and he said, Master, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, when you first read that question, you get the idea that this is really a very harmless little question, right? That everyone would love to hear an answer about. But, but this was a loaded question. It was explosive. You see, everybody had their own idea of how to gain eternal life. As a result, no matter what answer Jesus gave, there would be 80% of his congregation that would disagree with him because everybody did their own thing. This question was chosen with great astuteness. Now, how did Jesus handle the question? Well, instead of giving the man a direct answer, he responded by asking the young lawyer a question. He said, well, what's written in the law? Like, how do you read it? How do you understand it? 
This was a counter question. Now, I don't know whether you remember or not, but every lawyer, every Pharisee wore the little box, a phallitary, and, it, and, and in this little box, written on tiny pieces of paper, were 22 texts of Scripture, all of them drawn from the writings of Moses. Now, since this lawyer was a little boy, he had known these texts of Scripture. Now, out of the 22 texts, there were two of them that were considered to be the most important of all. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and Leviticus 19, 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This lawyer had said these words at his mother's knee when he was just a little boy. But when he said them in the presence of the Lord Jesus, it was just like he had, he had said them for the very first time. It finally dawned on him what they really meant. And Jesus said, well, you've, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you will surely live. And in fact, if you think about it, the argument should be over because after all, how do you disagree? How do you debate with someone who agrees with your answer? Well, the young man was completely stopped at that point. Well, what is the way to eternal life? The way to eternal life is not in systems or creeds. It's not in preaching. It's not in organizations. It's not in doctrines. The way to eternal life consists of loving deeds and bringing the greatest good to others in absolute and total kindness. That's the answer. Salvation is a relationship of supreme love for God and an unquenchable love for our fellow man. Eternal life is not a legal question. It's a loving question that will bring salvation if it's followed and if it's practiced. Now, there were two reactions that this young lawyer had to Jesus' answer. The first of them was invisible. I'm sure he felt guilty. No one, no one can use the word love in the presence of Jesus without feeling guilty. Now, there's another response of this lawyer, and it was obvious. It was visible to the eye. He says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Now, the words appeared just before that. It says, but the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. <laughs> well, isn't that the way we all are? Right? <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, but I can't help my neighbor. I can't visit my neighbor because we go on with a, this period of self-justification that we hope, well, that it will silence our guilty conscience. But that will not stand up in God's judgment. So he's attempting to justify himself. He says, well, who, who is my neighbor? Now, again, that sounds like a harmless little question, doesn't it? But it wasn't. Next to the one about how to have eternal life, this was the most argued question amongst the Israeli people. Consequently, the young lawyer felt that he had Jesus on slippery ice and that he would fall and he would be discredited in the eyes of all of the people there who were listening. 
Now, what is this lawyer really saying? What is he asking? He's saying, I'm not really obligated to practice love, right? I mean, who am I supposed to love? I don't know who to love. I don't know anybody to love. You see, as long as he had that pious question, who is my neighbor, he didn't need to do anything. It left him in the comfortable position of not having to do anything. He avoided his responsibility to his neighbor by pleading ignorance. Now, Jesus gives an answer to that in, in I think, in an, unex, an unexpected way. So he starts to tell this, us, the lawyer a story. Now, the lawyer wants to be technical. Jesus wants to be practical. You know, maybe the lawyer was a little upset. He said, listen, you're going to tell me a story? I'm not some child. But somehow the words of the story caught his attention. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In these first three words of the story, he had the answer to his question, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? A certain man. That's who your neighbor is. If they are human, black, white, yellow, red, brown, if they are members of the human race, they are your neighbor. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very violent road. It's a winding road. The reason why it's winding is that Jerusalem on Mount Zion, 2,300 feet in elevation, Jericho is down some 1,000 feet below sea level. So in a span of 20 miles, there's a change in elevation of about 3,300 feet. So the result is that the road around the hills of Judea winds around in hairpin turns everywhere. And every time you have a hairpin turn, there's the possibility that someone is going to drop down upon your defenseless head. That's the reason why the road was an ideal opportunity for anyone who wanted to be violent. Now, there was a rule of thumb that said, get to your destination before dark. And there was a rule of thumb that said, you never travel alone. Now, let's look back at our characters. Here's the injured man. We don't know his name. Now, and some might say, well, you, can tell, you can't tell anything about this man. He never says a word. I know that, but there's something we can tell about him. This man is a fool. Now, how do you know he's a fool? Well, he's a fool because he's out there alone. He took too many chances. He could, he could easily say, look, my hands are full. This, this man got himself into this mess. Let him get himself out. He's a fool. Let's look at the priest and the Levite. Who was the priest? That was an officer of the church. What about the Levite? Well, he was a leader in the church. We know that the priest saw the man and stayed on the other side. Now, why do you think he passed by on the other side? Was he inhuman? Was he unfeeling? I don't think so. I think that he had reasons for going by on the other side. What might those reasons have been? Well, I think the most obvious reason was this one. I just don't have time. He couldn't have caught me at a worse time. That's the one thing that comes off the easiest, isn't it? After all, he said, I'm, I'm on my way to church. If I touch him, I'm unclean, right? I've got to keep my church work in, in mind. After all, a man's got to think about his family. You know, perhaps the fellows that beat him are still here. 
And if I get down and I work on him and help him, well, they might just drop down on my head and I don't want to become another statistic. So you know what? I'm just going to stay on the other side, keep my feelings in check, lest they get the best of me. Listen, I, I don't have the slightest doubt that the priest had reasons why he didn't stop. And those reasons made sense to the priest. Lots of sense. Just like they make sense to you and me. But the problem is they won't stand up in God's judgment. What are the lessons that Jesus would have us learn from the priest? You see, we must never confuse our salvation with our orthodoxy. We may have all of our doctrines straight. I'm sure the priest had them straight. Our position in the church may be secure. We may believe all the right things, but this does not give us eternal life. The devil knows all the doctrines, but it is only the people who love that make it. And that's what the priest lacked. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about the Levite. At least you know he had the decency to come up and look at the man. I guess you can respect him a little bit more. Like he was a church school teacher. He, he thought to himself, I'm on my way to teach my church school class. You know, there's 15 people in my class. You know, they, they all want to hear me. And if I stop and help this man, well, I'm going to miss teaching the 15. And so it's like a 15 to 1 thing. Obviously, I'm going to help the 15. Well, he was mathematically correct. There was no mistake in his logic. The mistake was in his love. The Levite was logically right, but he was lovingly wrong. Well, let's quickly talk about our Samaritan because here's where the shoe gets awfully tight. The Samaritan did not belong to the right church. He was a heretic. He was in the wrong church. His doctrines, well, they believe these craziest things. In the final judgment, you see, we will not be judged by the doctrines we believe because the doctrines of the Samaritan were not right. But in the final judgment, we will not be judged by the doctrines we believe, by the creeds we hold, but rather by the love that we share. So what did the Samaritan do? He went over to this man. Remember, this was a total stranger here. Well, that's love. I mean, it's easy to do a good for those that are in your house and your family, but the love here that Jesus is talking about, this is love for a total stranger. He goes to the man, picks up the man, binds up his wounds, sterilizes the wounds with oil and water and wine, puts him on his own beast, takes him to an inn, takes care of him all night long, stays awake with him. In the morning, he goes to the innkeeper and he says to the innkeeper, Right? And this is the most touching part of the story for me. He says, take good care of him. And he says, if it costs more than what I've given you, when I come back, I'll take care of the balance. So what is the love that Jesus commends? The love that Jesus commends, that, that, the love that will bring eternal life does not know any limits. It sets no bounds. The love that Jesus commended never says, well, I've done my part. Let them do theirs. The love that Jesus shows here is, is, look, when I pass by, I will take care of the balance. 
That's the love that will bring eternal life. It's a limitless love. No legal quotas. Now, somebody might ask me, do you think this man will have eternal life simply because he helped to stop somebody? No, I don't think so. But listen, this man is not saved by his works. This man is saved by the love that made him work. The love that made him work is the love that will succeed, that will lead him to heaven. But the works without love is only cold, sterile legalism. So may I be so bold as to ask you a question as we close. What kind of love do you have? Do you care about people? I mean, like the strangers, do you really care? Do you really have love at all? Do you just care for yourself? Do you only care for people in your home? Do you really love them? Or are you just tolerating them? Are you doing your duty? Or are you really loving? So what is Jesus here talking about? Jesus is saying, and I'm going to put it all together now in a nutshell, that if you've forgotten everything else I've said, just, just take this with you. Don't just talk about love. Don't just believe in love. Love, in order to be believable, must be practiced. Love that does not result in action is no love at all. Love isn't something to be discussed. Love is something to be done. Now, there's one last warning here in this parable, and the warning comes through loud and clear. Anybody who loves must be prepared to have their plans interrupted. The opportunity to love generally comes as a surprise, and generally you just don't have time. We must be prepared for the surprises that God brings into our lives. The unexpected tasks, the unexpected people, we must be prepared for that. Now, what is the final lesson that Jesus gives? We can never wash our hands of our responsibility to our neighbor. You know, the one five houses down the block. Our help must be continuous and as wide as the love of God. So that the love of God is saying to us, the timeless truth that he gave that scribe 2,000 years ago, the answer is continuously and always the same. If you want eternal life, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father in heaven, may the love that we have for you just generate within us the, the desire to share that with others. May we pass on love to all humanity, to those that we encounter that are in need. Use us in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. Those of you that have been watching us for some time know that on each and every broadcast, 
we like to make a resource available to you. And today I have uh, a little handout here that I think you will enjoy. You know, we talked about the unexpected opportunities that come in to show our, you know, to show our love to others. And one of the biggest challenges we have in this world is the fact that we don't have enough time. Not enough time to share love with others, not enough time to spend moments with God. Well, this is a resource that can help you. It is called 30 Meditations for Busy People, Moments with God. You know, you can read one of these every day. They're good for a month. There's 30 of them. Great way to get you connected with God. I would suggest starting your day with each one of these. If you'd like to receive this Moments with God, 30 Meditations for Busy People, pay close attention to the information we're about to send you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. I want to thank you for joining us. Truly appreciate those of you that tune in each and every week. We would appreciate your help and getting the word out to your friends and your family so that, you know, they can tune in also. Now, they may not be in a region where our program airs. That's okay. Send them over to our website, l4ltv.com. Under the previous programs tab, they will have access to every single one of the programs since our very first season. Right, they can go that will take them to the YouTube site and all of the programs are there and they can check, check those out. So if you'd be so kind as to help us with that, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, social media on Instagram, Santos underscore Bill. Every morning I put out a devotional video. Folks say to me, you know, it's one of the ways that they start their day and they find that they enjoy starting their day with their, with their mind focused on things of heaven. So check that out at Santos underscore Bill. That's my handle also on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. Follow me on Twitter. Um, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. So every time a new program is added, you'll be notified. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash L4L television. All of the programs are accessible there. The daily devotionals are accessible there also. Share that page with your friends and with your family also. An audio version of the program will be available on SoundCloud about 30 minutes from the end of this program. Just before we go, I don't have a lot of time, just want to make reference also to another website, missionnowcanada.com. 
which is the overseas humanitarian work that we do. Some exciting stuff going on. Check that out, missionlcanada.com. All out of time. We look forward to doing this again next time, but it won't be the same if you're not joining us. So I make plans and I pray that you'll be here. We'll see you then. God bless you. See you next time.